Uh, good morning. Yeah, once again, I just want to say it's been just such a joy to, to be here and to have a chance to, to preach uh, and to practice that. Uh, yeah, and it's just been so much, so much fun and so good to, to get to do this. Um, but enough about me. So, over the past couple weeks, we have been in a sermon talking about the temple, about God's house, and how God wants to dwell with his people. Um, we've started out, we looked at Eden and the garden, and how God made that to be a temple, a place where he dwells with man, and where man are, are royal priests in his new temple. And after that, we look at the old temple in Israel, and how the sacrificial system worked and how all of that happened. And then we saw last week when Pastor Brian spoke that uh, Israel wasn't faithful to what God had called them to do. And so God said, I need to leave the temple. I can't dwell with you anymore. And this is, this is a crazy event in the history of Israel. Uh, this, of God leaves, this whole thing that their, their whole national identity has left. It would be like if Canada no longer got snow ever again, that our whole thing... It's our whole thing, hockey and snow left, and we don't get it anymore. And so this is, this is crazy. Israel has been unfaithful, so God leaves. But God leaves with this promise that he's going to return to them and cleanse them once and for all. So last week, Brian spoke out of Ezekiel chapter 10. In Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 17 to 20, it says, Therefore say to Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations, and I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. So we see God's spirit departs from the temple. It, it goes up on this mountain and it ascends back into heaven. And we're like, whoa, what's about to happen? But God leaves and he says, don't worry, I'm coming back. Even though you've been unfaithful, I'm going to come back and we're going to rebuild. And it's going to be better than before. So then the Old Testament continues. We see the people go into to exile. Uh, Babylon comes and takes them over and takes their people out of the land into Babylon. And they're, they, they live there, and they're second-class citizens in the land of Babylon. And we, we read about it in the prophets, about what happens. And, and it keeps talking about this promise of God is going to come back, and he's going to rebuild. But it sounds like, over and over again, it sounds like this rebuilding is going to be different. That this isn't quite going to be the same as before. And even we see, we see later, so they go through captivity, and then later the Persian Empire takes over, and then the Persian Emperor says, you know what? We've found it's actually better for our people if they get to live in their own land, live in their, their own religion, but we kind of just rule over them. So they allow the Israelites to go back to the land, which is a big thing. So Ezra and Nehemiah lead the people back to the land, and they rebuild the temple. They rebuilt it, they rededicate it to God, and they say, God, we're going to be faithful. But the Spirit of God never returns to the temple. We, we want, they, they rebuild the temple, and then they're like, all right, we're going to have this great cloud, 
and this great pillar of fire come down again, and it's going to be awesome, and we're all going to be falling on our faces, and it's going to be just like when Solomon built his temple, but it never happens. The temple is empty once again. They build this elaborate building, but it's empty again. And then in Malachi, which we just came out of a series in Malachi, if you want to learn more about this, go back and listen to our our other sermons. But in Malachi, it talks about, uh, it says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. So this is really confusing. Is The temple, we've rebuilt the temple and we've said, we're going to follow you again, Lord. But God doesn't come back and he says he's going to remake his treasured possession. And we're like, what? We're Israel. We are the treasured possession. That's what you said back in, back in Exodus, back in Genesis. What is this, God? This is so different. We don't get what's going on yet. So it's going to be different. Whatever is going to happen, whatever God's plan is, it's going to be different than what it looked like in the past. So then we wait. And 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 we're waiting for God to return. Israel's in the land. But there's still this sense of exile that's looming over everything because God hasn't returned. We're not truly back to where we were. We're still waiting for God to fulfill his promise. So then 400 years goes by. And then there's this 30-year-old carpenter from Galilee. He shows up in the synagogue one day, and he comes on to the stage, and he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads out of Isaiah chapter 60. So imagine if I'm going to read out of Isaiah in the Bible, but I have to flip every page individually. so, So Jesus stands there on the stage, Rolling scroll. He's unrolling. Just hold on, one, guys. Almost there. Oh, I missed it. There we go. And then he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Huh? Who is this dude? He's just a carpenter. We know his dad and his mom and his brothers and sisters. Who is this guy? Well, his name's Jesus. He's from Galilee. And he's got this crazy birth story that a lot of us, you know, it sounds kind of legendary. And we're all a little confused because his mom, Mary, like it seemed a little sketchy. Uh, you know, she's pregnant, but her and her husband, Joseph, weren't really married yet, so we're not really sure what happened there. We're a little confused. But this is what Jesus does. This is who Jesus says he is. Is that he is the one whom Isaiah has, has been talking about, the prophet. And not only is he this one who's coming to proclaim liberty to the captives, but Jesus expands the scope of what he is doing. In this passage in John that we read, he says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up again. Talking about himself. What Jesus is saying here is that he is the fulfillment of what Ezekiel said. Of when, when God says, don't worry, I'm going to come and rebuild. That's what Jesus is. 
It doesn't look like who we thought it was going to be. But Jesus is doing it in a new way. When the people thought about God coming, coming back, they probably didn't think about a baby being born in a barn with a bunch of donkeys around and laying him in a bunch of hay. No, they probably thought this royal king was going to come from the line of David, the mighty line of David. And he was going to kick out the Romans and all this stuff. Not that he's this carpenter from Galilee who doesn't do anything with his life until he's 30. But being this temple, this is a core part of who Jesus is. And it totally looks different than we thought. This is crucial to understanding what Jesus is trying to do on earth. Is that he is this awaited return to exile. So we talked about earlier how a temple is a place where God dwells. It's a place where heaven and earth meet. Now Jesus, he's fully God and he's fully man. He's fully from heaven and he's fully from earth. That he is a temple in his own body. That he is fully God and fully man. He's where heaven and earth meet. He is this place. Not only this, but he has the spirit of God, the presence of God in him. That when Jesus goes to the river Jordan and John baptizes him, the spirit descends on him like a dove. That he has this spirit within him. And this, so this is what Israel's been looking for. They've been waiting for the presence of God to return to them. But we're all so confused because we don't know what this is. This is not what we thought it was going to be. This is wild. And Jesus goes on and he keeps proclaiming that he is this temple. That he is this new way for God to be with his people. He's a new temple. But not only is he a new temple, but actually Jesus is a better temple. So in the Old Testament, it talks about how people needed to be clean and unclean. Um, and uncleanness came from a lot of different factors. Sometimes uncleanness would come from sin. And so that was one type of uncleanness. But then there's also other types of uncleanness that uh, when a woman was on her menstruation period, she was unclean. She couldn't go into the temple. After a baby was born, whoever had, had touched the fluids couldn't be, had, to be, had to have this time of, of cleansing before they could go into the temple. And if there was any uncleanness that would come into the temple, dead. There's a story in, I think it's 2 Samuel, it would be, where um, they're bringing, where David's men are bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the, into the city, and the Ark rocks, and it's about to fall, and one guy, he does it, he wants to do a good job. He goes to steady the Ark so it doesn't fall. He touches the Ark, boom, dead. That's how holy this Ark is. That's how holy God's presence is, is that we can't even, like, stand in it. But Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus' holiness is different. It's better. When Jesus uh, is in Jerusalem doing his, or not in Jerusalem, sorry, as he's, he's walking around doing his ministry, there's one time where there's a leper. And skin diseases and leprosy were considered unclean uh, in that time. That if you had a skin disease, often you were made to sit outside of the city or in a separate part of the city that was for people with skin diseases, partly so that it didn't spread. These uncleanness rules had good, had good motives, but also because you were ceremonially unclean, and that if I went and touched you, then I'm now ceremonially unclean, and it has this whole, this whole process of cleaning myself. 
But Jesus, as this temple with the spirit inside him, you think, oh, anything that comes near him is going to die. But Jesus is so much better than that. Jesus goes and he touches this man with leprosy and his leprosy leaves. Jesus goes and he, he goes across the sea and he meets this Gentile man who you weren't supposed to talk to Gentiles all that much. And this Gentile man, he hangs out with pigs. And pigs were ceremonially unclean. And not only that, this man had demons in him. But he's as unclean as it gets. But Jesus comes and he touches him and the demons leave. Instead of the uncleanness being contagious to Jesus, Jesus is contagiously holy. That whoever Jesus touches becomes holy. That whatever Jesus does, it becomes holy. So he's a better temple. That he spreads this holiness. That this holiness is no longer contained to a box within a curtain, within a building, within a court, within another court, within a city. But that Jesus, his holiness, can spread. This is wild. This is crazy. And Jesus continues to do this. Over and over again, he heals people. Over and over again, he talks to the Pharisees who, who have this, such a rigid idea of this is what God does. This is what holiness looks like. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm here to expand this. I'm here to break down the walls of the temple. I'm here to fulfill the law. And eventually it leads to Jesus being killed. Where these Pharisees decide, no. Nope. This guy, he, we don't like what he's talking about. He's, he's too crazy for us. He's upending our power. Let's kill him. But the craziest thing is, though, is that this death that, that Jesus has, this isn't the end, but really it's only the beginning. In the ancient Near Eastern temples, I talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago when I preached about Eden. There's this, when you finish a temple, there's this exaltation of the image where you take whatever the image of the God of this temple is and you maybe light some fire under it and you put bellows in to blow air into it and you, you put it in its place and it's exalted now. And it's usually on a little bit of a higher pedestal or something like that. And the craziest part about Jesus' life is that in his death, that's his actual exaltation. That his whole ministry has been about showing that I am this new temple. I am building this new people of God. I'm building this new temple that doesn't exclude people, that doesn't have to worry about am I, am I clean or unclean? But Jesus goes to the dirty. He goes to the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors. And he builds this people. He remakes his treasured possession. And then he says, now it is time for me to be exalted. And he goes to the cross. And he dies a horrible... The word excruciating is, is based off of crucifixion. This completes his work. But then he dies and everything changes instantly. If we look back to Matthew 27, I'm just going to read it again. If I can find the paper. There. It says, Behold, the curtain of the temple 
was torn in two from top to bottom. The Spirit of God is now out of the temple. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs were opened. There's new life in Jesus' new kingdom. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Do you get how crazy that is? Of the first person to realize who Jesus is after his death is a Gentile. is someone who isn't Jewish. Then it says, There were many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee. And Jesus' new minute... In Jesus' new kingdom, women have status. They had status from the beginning in Adam and Eve's time. Things were corrupted, and Jesus says, no, 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 let's fix this. Men and women are equal. There's new life. There's new, things happen. Jesus flips everything we have and flips it upside down. The lowly are, are made great. The proud are made humble. This temple is remade around Jesus and his life and his ministry. But it doesn't end there. That Jesus actually wins over death. Jesus wins over death and he cleanses us at the same time. We're no longer unclean, but he calls us clean. And he allows for his spirit to be in us. That we see the veil tears, and the veil was representative of anything behind the veil. That was the holy of holies. That was where the spirit of God dwelt. Where only one high priest could go once a year, and if he was un- they would tie a rope around his ankle so that when he went in, if something happened and he wasn't clean and he died, they could pull his body out. But now that power is able to be in us because we are made clean. Jesus is undoing this curse that has been in Genesis. Where there is no more, there is death, but it is ultimately defeated. Where men and women are equal again. Where God doesn't have to contain, doesn't need, no longer needs to contain himself to one building. We regained life in God's presence. We've regained life in God's presence. That God can dwell with man once again through Jesus. And not only that, but Jesus now, he's he's cleansed us. He's made him like himself. That just like the Spirit descends on Jesus after he's baptized, the Spirit now lives in us when we accept him. That in 1 Corinthians it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So we are made clean. So if, we, if we're being made like Jesus, and Jesus is this new temple where God and man meet, we then also are like temples. We're temples of his spirit. The veil is torn and his presence goes out and is in us now. We share in Jesus' contagious holiness now. That we see that in the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, They go out and they touch men with skin disease. And they, they heal the blind. 
and the Lamb. That Jesus' contagious holiness goes with us now because His Holy Spirit goes with us. And that means that we have mission, that we have this same mission that Jesus has. That when Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He now says that's our mission because we are being made like Him, because we have Him in us. That the Spirit of the Lord is upon Kyle because He has anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent Velma to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. That's what His Spirit does in us. That's what it means to be like Jesus is that we have this mission to go. And we've been given peace. We've been redeemed in love. We are a new temple, and he is building us into a greater temple. We're tasked to expand this temple in love. In 1 Peter, like Velma read, it says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. We're tasked to expand this temple. Now, I hope you've been listening as we, as we go on, but that is the same thing that God told us to do in the garden. He says to expand this garden, expand this temple, go in love, in shalom, peace, and expand this temple. Be fruitful and multiply. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is a reiteration of our creation task. Each one of us has this task to bring more and more living stones into this temple. Jesus starts the ball rolling and he says, work with me now. Let's finish this together. Let's build this kingdom of God together. So now, each one of you as living stones, are you helping to expand this garden, this temple, this kingdom in love? Are we fulfilling this creation mandate that's been renewed and expanded in Jesus? Or are we sitting stale? Are we letting what Jesus has done go to waste, in a sense? I'm so excited about what Jesus has done and about what he's done in me that I feel compelled to tell people that his spirit flares up in my chest and I feel like I have to let people know. That it talks about in Luke when Jesus ascends and he, he gives them this mandate of the disciples run back to Jerusalem and they, they cannot stop telling people in the temple about what Jesus has done. I feel like this is a, an abrupt end, but that's, that's what we're supposed to do. So Holy Spirit, flare up within us, Jesus. Where there are coals, Jesus, blow on them. Light a fire in our hearts, Jesus. Jesus, what you've done is so magnificent. We thank you, Jesus, that you came as a baby in a manger. Jesus, you blew our expectations out of the water, and it was so much better than we ever could have dreamed. So, Jesus, give us desire to go Jesus. Let us be the ones, Jesus, who will fulfill the Great Commission. 
Holy Spirit, come. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for us once again and for coming, Lord Jesus. And as we, as we look towards Christmas, Jesus, we remember you coming and what you've done, Lord Jesus. We thank you and we love you, Lord. And send us out as living stones. Amen.